Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with my co-host and co-parent of this podcast, Meg. This is episode two, The One-Armed Man. This episode is going to be different than almost all of our other episodes. This didn't involve any research, no late nights with case files or researching facts. This is going to be 100% of a victim's firsthand account of being abducted. If you remember our last episode with Trisha Reitler, we discussed the possible suspects of who abducted her. One of those suspects, Donald Grenier, was the man who abducted my co-host and best friend, Megan. And today, for the first time, she is going to give her account of what happened. Now, I will say, this is kind of a trigger. This is going to be a difficult episode, both for Megan to relay and for anyone who's close to Megan to hear. I think it's important that she tells her story. We've talked about it. I think that it's going to really help someone who's ever in that situation because she's going to tell us what she did to escape and how it's affected her life since. And she's the prime example that you don't have to let trauma define you. And again, there's a trigger warning. This will discuss child rape and abduction. So this isn't your cup of tea. We understand it's not for everyone, but I think it's an important story to hear. So with that being said, Megan. That was a very cute opening. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So as Connie said, when I was nine, I was almost 10. A man with one arm abducted me from a side street as I was walking home. Uh, In that time after he abducted me, I was raped repeatedly. I was bound and gagged, and I was held against my will in the back of a van until I escaped. As Connie said, I have not publicly shared this story, but I've wanted to for a long time. Um, Mostly because people should be aware that even in small towns where you don't lock your doors, stories like mine happen every day. I just happen to be one of the incredibly lucky people who is able to escape, like survival rates for the circumstances such as mine, um, where the person doesn't know their captor and they're taken randomly, they're less than half of 1% when they come back alive. I did not know that that was the statistics. I knew it was probably pretty low, but I did not know that it was that low. Yeah, when people are um, abducted by a stranger that they don't know off the street, they practically never come back. It's, I remember one of my victim's advocates talking to me about how it's legendary that that I was able to escape that and survive. Oh, absolutely. And we've been friends for what, 15 plus years now? Gosh, that sounds crazy. And I have never heard this story. I've never asked you about it. I mean, we've briefly like have said one or two things, but Yeah, no, in the 21 years since this has happened, I have probably told, I don't know, less than three people, the uncensored version, because it's not really a topic that just comes up in casual conversation. (laughs) No, it's like, hey, do you want to hear how I was kidnapped? Yeah, and it's traumatic. (laughs) It makes people uncomfortable. It's triggering for people with trauma. Um, And you're right, the I mean, if there is a trigger warning for this episode, it's pedophilia, child rape, abuse, child abduction, being forcibly held and bound. But it also has like, has justice, which we don't get to see here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Are you ready? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, honestly, but 
Okay, so I'm just going to kind of go through the motions of that day. I woke up that morning and my mom was getting ready because my older brother who lives across the country was coming to visit. So she was going to go pick him up from the airport and she was going to take my younger brother with her. I'm one of three. I'm in the middle and I wasn't allowed to go. And I, we fought about that and I was mad and she was probably very exasperated with me. But in the end, she and my brother, my younger brother left for the airport and I stayed home with my dad and my dad was playing Goldeneye on Nintendo 64. On the only TV we had. <laughs> oh, George. <laughs> um, and I was bored. Like, he had the TV. I was bored. It was still really early on a Saturday morning, probably nine, I would say. Um, and I asked my dad if I could walk down the street and see if my friend was at her grandparents' restaurant. I had planned to hang out with this friend um, at her house later that day. But her family owned this small little diner, and it was only two blocks away from my house. Oh, okay. We lived on a main street in our small rural town with big sidewalks and plenty of traffic, and it was straight down, two blocks. Yeah. If my dad walked in front of our house, he could have seen me walk there and walk back, and he would have never lost sight of me. I couldn't remember. I knew you didn't live where like, I knew you to live, like out in the country. but Yeah, no, we moved after this whole thing. Um, yeah, he tried to talk me out of doing it because I was going to go to her house anyways. But you can't tell me nothing. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to do it one way or the other. So I think he just was like, oh, man, I really got to get through this level. Just go. <laughs> he probably didn't do that. But he did say it was fine. And he, I tried to leave, but he made me take his coat. And I was annoyed about it, but it was, um, it was April. It was April 3rd, 1999. And it was still really cold out in the mornings. And I was wearing a red t-shirt, a jean skort, and black clogs. They were platform clogs. And it was my favorite outfit. And I was mad that I had to cover it up with my dad's big black work jacket. Oh. <laughs> but that jacket and that outfit is, Kind of an important part of what got Donald Grenier convicted in the end. So I have heard and like listened to a lot of other podcasts about typically it's like called survivor's guilt. But like in the instance of your mom, did she has she ever expressed feeling guilty about not letting you go to the airport that day? You know, I don't think I have ever asked her. Maybe I will ask her after this is over. Probably, I would say. Yeah, yeah I would probably. assume. My dad probably felt guilty for letting oh, me walk down there. But My I've, mom probably felt guilty for not taking me with her. And I've just, I mean, I've heard some where, I just listened to one the other day, where the brother and sister were driving in a car and they got into an argument. So he made her walk. And that was the last time she was ever seen. Oh so I just, I didn't know. I mean, I'm sure you were never like, hey, mom. <laughs> Do you feel like this? I just didn't know if it was something that had like been expressed because I can imagine knowing your mom as well as I do how awful she probably felt. Yes, I'm sure she did. My mom, I did attend therapy very regularly after all of this and she did as well. So I'm sure that her therapist assured her and I will assure her and can assure her that it wasn't her fault, just like it no. wasn't my fault, you know? No. It was... 
this person is Grenier's fault. Yeah. And it's anyone who's from our hometown, you don't think of this in Hartford City. I mean, I would ride my bike all day and I don't think my parents ever knew where I was. I was just like, all right, I'm leaving. And that was it. Yeah, my I used to walk all over town. My brother walked all over town, rode his bike all over town. It was just is what you did. Okay, so we go back to you're getting ready to walk to your friend's house. It's two blocks away. Kind of take us through that. So it's strange because I feel like I remember every detail about walking down the road that morning. It was cloudy. It was like a light fog and everything was wet and it was early and it was still quiet. And it was just such a, like if you picture an early spring morning in Indiana, it's exactly what you think of. It was just like that. And I walked those two blocks really quickly. I got to the restaurant and the diner was a little busy because it was breakfast or maybe it just like seemed busy because I was nine years old and alone, (laughs) but I got nervous I got scared about going in by myself and looking around for my friend in front of everyone. So I just kind of like peeked in the front window, peeked in the door. And when I didn't see her immediately, I went, eh, I'll just go home and I'll call her later and I'll go see her this afternoon like I'm supposed to. Again, I think I was just bored and I wanted to just maybe see if she happened to be there. Yeah. So instead of turning around and walking home the same way I walked, I decided I would walk around the building and take the alley, which I took some screenshots of Google Maps of the alley, and I'll post the exact location where I was on Instagram. But it was, if you want to picture the restaurant, it was close to the downtown area. It's a one-story string of brick storefronts, and it was on the corner, and there are parking lots all the way around. There's a parking lot on the side behind it to the right caddy corner from it. So it was fairly open. And the the parking lot that was directly behind the restaurant, it was always full of cars. I'm not like it might I think have there's been a, a bank. Lot. Is that is that the one where the bank is? Like there's a bank back there? There is a bank um to the right of it on the other corner, but it's okay. locked down. Okay. So I this parking lot behind the restaurant. Uh might have been a junk lot or maybe a shops lot where they like parked cars that needed work, but there were always cars there. And I had walked this alley a hundred times. I didn't even think twice about a van pulling into the alley as I was walking down it. I was so unconcerned that I saw this patch of really big fat dandelions and I bent down to pick those dandelions for my mom. (laughs) I remember thinking, I'm going to pick these for my mom so I can give them to her when she gets home. And as I bent over, I was picking them and I felt myself get pulled from behind into that van (laughs) I just pulled in. And a man with gray hair and big aviator style glasses and one arm sat on top of me and told me to shut up as he slammed that van door shut. He immediately said, shut up or I'll kill you. You need to take your shorts off. And I remember that I started crying and saying no, that I didn't want to. But he just reiterated, he said, you don't want me to hurt you, do you? So I took my shorts off. And then he said, panties too. And I just started crying so hard, but I was scared. And I didn't want to get hurt. So I took them off. And I have this 
awful image seared into my brain. And it's just the bottom half of my body naked and covered in those crushed dandelion petals because I had been just gripping them so hard because I was afraid. And that was the first time that he sexually assaulted me over the next 24 hours. He didn't drive anywhere? It was just like right there? He just did it the first time. He just did it right there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was, I don't know what he was thinking (laughs) other than like maybe there's no one around. I mean, no one... no one around enough to just grab a little girl and, you know, rape her in the back of your van. And I'm not going to go through and explain every single time he raped me or the details of what that looked like, because I think it's probably awful enough to imagine a little girl being repeatedly raped in the back of a large travel van with lines on the windows. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that for that entire day, he would drive around and he would pull into, I, I couldn't see out the windows because the things were pulled, but from what I could see, it looked like parking lots of bigger stores, maybe grocery stores, Kmart, Marsh, stuff like that. He was, maybe he was pulling behind the stores and he would sexually assault me or force me to perform sex acts on him. And then he would duct tape my hands and go into the store. And he would always come back with a bag of stuff. We had talked previously and you said it seemed like he was panicking. The longer it went, the more it seemed like that. Like, oh shit, what am I going to do now? At one point, after he went into another store, I got out of the duct tape and I wanted to run, but I was, I was scared. <laughs> like, what if he sees me and chases me? What if he shoots me? What if I don't see anyone to yell at and no one can help me, you know? Yeah, you you didn't know where you were. You didn't know what your surroundings were. And you didn't know how serious he was about killing you. I yeah, feel like that's I, a very valid fear. Even thinking about it now, it makes me feel scared. Like if I was put in that situation now, I would feel the same way. Like what if I got out and I run and they see me running and then no one helps? Yeah. And it's not like you did it for all you knew. You could have been in the middle of a field with nothing around. You didn't know. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, uh, it was not it was not a good time. <laughs> I would have to. Sorry, nervous laughter. He kept telling me he was going to take me home also. So every time he stopped, I would be like, oh, my parents were probably getting worried. We should probably go home after this. I told him it was my birthday. I told him that my brother was coming to visit and I needed to get back home so I could be with my family for my birthday party. It was not my birthday. And as it got later and later, that was when I really started realizing that he probably wasn't going to let me go. When he came back and he saw that I had gotten out, he asked why I didn't run away. And I told him that I had to go to the bathroom, but I also told him that he could trust me not to run away. He didn't have to tie me up anymore. I told him, you don't have to tie me up anymore. But he only used more tape and rope the next times he tied me up. And he made me go to the bathroom on the ground behind a dumpster. So after that, when he just, he did not listen to me saying, you can totally trust me. (laughs) Which I guess good for him for not. (laughs) 
<laughs> what an asshole. Yeah. Um, huge asshole. I did start getting more creative. And the next time he parked and came back to um, rape me or assault me, I told him that I had AIDS. And he was like, well, uh, how'd you get that? And I told him that I got it from my mom when I was born. And he was like, well, then how did she get it? And I don't actually, I didn't know how people got AIDS. So I told him she just probably got it from her mom. (laughs) (laughs) Not that Uh, that's funny, but as in, (laughs) I want to paint the picture that a nine-year-old is thinking of these things because I have a 10-year-old right now and I don't think he would, I I mean, I would like I watched to- a lot of TV. It's got to yeah. be just like full on whatever the TV told me. I was just like, yep, that's it. I'm just going to do that. But that did not work. Did he, he seem shaken by it or did he? He seemed unnerved. He started using black condoms after that when he raped me. Did he not realize at that point it probably would have been too late? Like, what a dumbass. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I don't think... He was uh, the brightest crayon in the crayon box. So I I don't know. I have no idea. After that, those last times, uh, it was getting dark and late. And he pulled into a garage. Uh, and he duct taped me again from my feet all the way up to my mouth like a mummy. Like he mummified me with duct tape. Ugh. He uh, The van uh, was like a big travel van where the two middle seats had a space in the middle and he leaned one of those seats back and he bungee corded me into the seat in addition to me being duct taped. And then he buckled the seat belt on top of that. And that's how I slept that night, except I didn't sleep very well. (laughs) He came out. I remember he came out to the garage twice and shined a flashlight in the windows to make sure I was there. And then I think I probably fell asleep if he came out and checked anymore. I only remember twice of it happening. And I'm assuming it was probably the worst sleep you've ever had. (laughs) I feel like I feel like I remember not sleeping. Like I feel like I didn't sleep. But I think I had to have a little bit. Yeah. And then the next morning, he came out and he cut off all the duct tape, just all the way down. And I remember I was upset because I thought he was going to cut my hair when he cut the tape around my head. I was I was growing my hair out and I was just like, please don't cut my hair. I remember saying that specific thing to him. Like, you know, what else is a nine-year-old girl going to be worried about? Don't cut my hair, please. So it's the next day and it's Sunday. I didn't realize it. It was Easter. It was Easter Sunday. And that day, the van, he left it parked in the garage. He assaulted me once in the morning and then he hogtied me and left me on the floor and I peed all over myself and all over the floor of his van. And I think I could have told him, but I feel like I remember doing it out of anger and spite. And when he came back, he was mad because I had peed everywhere and he left frustrated. I remember him being like annoyed that I had peed all over his van. And I want to pause because I kind of want to give listeners kind of an insight to the interim of what was happening. So at this point, obviously, your parents have reported you missing. And I told you before, but the first time my dad met you as my friend coming over, you left and like he told me his hands were shaking. And 
I knew it was one of those everyone when I first moved to Hartford, it had been told to me that you had been kidnapped. Yeah, it became like a cautionary tale. Yeah. And you left and my dad's hands were shaking because at the time he him and my older cousin, Michael, they went looking for you. They went looking. Yeah, it was it was amazing. The entire there were entire counties that just mm-hmm. stopped everything they were doing and went out looking for me. They were, you know, sweeping creeks. They were going through yes. woods. They were walking through fields. Everyone came together to help look for me. Because was- you can have like the situations of teenagers disappearing. And then there's that brief time where you're thinking, okay, maybe they disappeared or then maybe they ran away. But obviously you were nine. You weren't, like, you weren't running away. You were, it was very yeah. obvious. Where am I going to go? <laughs> But he literally Uh, told me, he's like, I looked for her body. We were looking in the woods behind the house for her body. Yeah, it's... And I also... So unsettling to hear it, but also like it makes me feel very thankful that all of these people cared enough. Oh, actually, I was just talking to Monica and she... We were talking about the podcast and everything. And I was kind of like saying, you know, this is what Meg's going to do. And she said the same thing about Steve that, I mean, they're from Montpelier. They didn't know you. But they were out, like, Steve was out looking for you, too. Like, it was, it's crazy. Such a small town came together in such a big way. Yeah, I don't think I can count the number of times that I have met people and they have said, I looked for you. And that makes me want to cry a little. (laughs) Because it was, like, nice, you know? Like, you're right. They came together in a big way for someone that they didn't know and that they didn't have to do that for. I think in situations like this, when it's such a small town, it becomes like, well, this is our daughter. We're looking for our daughter. And it could have been any of their daughters. Yeah. Especially in a town like that. Like I said, I was all over the place all the time. My sisters were. My sisters were 11 and 12 going all around Hartford and we were just riding bikes. It could have been anyone. So (laughs) it is. It's heavy. It's heavy. Um, So... Where was I? Oh, you beat all over his floor. (laughs) He was mad. He was mad about it. Good for you. Good for me. Thank goodness. Um, So I noticed that the times where he would come out and check on me, they kept getting longer. He wasn't touching me when he was checking. So because it was Easter, maybe there was like family over. I know that he was at now I know now that he was at his mom's house. That was his mother's garage um, that I was parked in. So maybe maybe something was going on, but I'm not entirely sure. Which Um, is disgusting. That is the absolute most disgusting. Yeah, it's his mom after this whole thing went down. She moved to Nevada. I would have too. Her house has become <laughs> like a to Mexico. I mean, there's Ugh. been documentaries and stuff where her they're like, "This is the house. This is this is the house where it was." Yeah. Um. I think I think I mentioned that I watched a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did. And when he was hog tying me or tying me up, I remembered this episode of Scooby Doo, and I think it was Scooby Doo, but it might not have been. Um, where Velma. Her wrists are tied, but they're, or maybe it's Daphne, I don't know. But she kept them apart, like just so she would notice, but the person tying her up wouldn't. And I did that. I kept my wrists tied at the top, but like open at the bottom so that it was a little looser than it should have been. Okay. And after a long enough um, gap of time, I, one of the ends of the knots that I was tied up with, was right by my hand. So I started working on it and I was able to undo that knot and get one arm free. 
So I pulled the duct tape off of my mouth and I just kind of like got untied the rest of myself. You know, it was, um, I was still partially naked. So I got dressed after I got the rope and the duct tape off. I wrapped myself in my dad's coat and I took a piece of that duct tape in my pocket as proof that I had been there. See, again, you are such a badass. Just I don't know why I did that. I was just like, they're not going to believe me. Like, I didn't think anyone was going to believe me. At any point during that, when he had you, like, bound, did you think, like, this is it? Or were you just like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm, this is There not- was one point where I was, like laying it was in the morning that morning and i had just been tied up and raped again and i was just laying there and i was literally just crying and like asking for my mom and dad he wasn't even out there i was just saying mom dad mom dad and i didn't i don't know why i just you know i just wanted them i wanted my parents well rightfully i mean yeah (laughs) i have told you a million times i Don't know what I would do in that situation, but I do know that me at nine, I would have panicked. I don't think I would have been able to survive it until like I'm now. I think now I would be able to. Now that you've listened to enough murder. Yes. (laughs) Now that I am well-versed in the world of murder. Oh, um, when I put that duct tape in my pocket, I realized that I had a uh, CoverGirl powder foundation compact. Like the brown one? Yeah, yeah. You got a Dollar General before yeah. like, you buy makeup. <laughs> yeah, I had one of those in the pocket. And as quietly as I could, I unlocked the van door and I used the mirror of that compact to look around corners. I like must have look at Harry Harriet the spy. It's so like it's so weird to think about it because I'm like, oh my god! I need like, to know what you were watching because I could guarantee you they are not teaching the boys that on Pokemon. That is- <laughs> it was, I have no. It was probably movies that were not PG. Probably some rated R going on in there, but I think the <laughs> only Disney princess that could pull that off is Rapunzel with her frying pan. Yeah, for but, sure. It wasn't out when I was a kid, but no, that's. I feel- <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs> you are such a badass because I would have never, I would have never, I would have, well, one, I probably wouldn't have survived to that point because I would have talked so much. He probably just would have been done with me. But Maybe you would have like tucked and rolled you right out the van door and like you would have ended up in a field and they would have found you. Bye. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that's what would have happened. That's what we uh, <sighs> Oh, so was this because this was kind of in town, wasn't it? You were in Marion, Indiana at this point. Yeah. So I had went roughly 30 miles from my home. It had taken me 30 miles from my home. And I I don't know. I was in a neighborhood because after I got out of the van and I, I unlocked the actual door on the garage, not like the big garage door, but the garage door that you walk into. And I crept around the garage with that mirror And I just started running. Once you got all the tape and everything, did you think, okay, this is it. This is my chance. I have to go this time. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of (laughs) here. Like, I'm done. I go or I die. It definitely came down to that. I go or I die. Which we'll get into once we get a little bit further into this. (laughs) After I got out, I started running. And uh, the, the road, there was an incline or a hill next to the road that I was running on. And 
I walked a little bit down that hill just in case he realized I was missing and came for me so that I so was he couldn't see not you. visible. Yeah, I was not yeah. visible right away. And when I came up from off of that hill, I, I thought I was at a church. It looked like a church to me, but the doors were locked when I tried to open them. It's afternoon on Easter, so maybe everyone had, you know, like gone home for the day to do Easter stuff. Again, I'm not sure, but I tried to open those doors and they were locked. So I ran again and I knocked on another door and no one answered. And I went to another house and finally two little kids answered the door. A little boy and a little girl (sighs) in their Easter best looked at me like, who the heck are you, lady? And they looked super confused. And I was just like, is your mommy or daddy home? And someone came up behind them. I don't remember who came up behind them. I don't know if it was an older, it was an adult, but I don't remember if it was an older person or like a parent aged person. And I just dropped like, my name is Megan Musgrave. I was kidnapped and I escaped. Will you please help me? And that family let me in to their home during their Easter dinner and they fed me. Uh, they gave, I asked for the cooked carrots. I ate cooked <laughs> carrots and they called the police. Uh, I'm like sobbing. <laughs> no, stop. I'm shaking. Like I'm shaking a lot telling this story. Uh, um, but yeah, they, they were so nice and they were so calm. No one freaked out. It kept me calm. I just sat there like remembering feeling I felt really dirty because their house was so clean and like warm and cozy to me at that time, like Mm -hmm. in that moment. And it was just they helped me. I am so thankful, not just because I love you as much as I do, but I am so thankful that you had the mindset to be like, I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm done. I'm going. And even the way you ran and it just, I'm just so thankful that you are you because I don't know if another kid would have had that skill set to escape like you did. Well, maybe their parents should have let them watch more TV. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the hands-off Thanks, parenting. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> the hands-off parenting of the 90s. Oh my gosh. So did you call your parents? No. Um, they called the police. And an ambulance and police arrived and they took me to the hospital. And I told the police what had happened. I told them the direction that I ran from. I gave them a description of the van, the man, where I had been, what it looked like. And once I was at the hospital, I was on a gurney. I was getting a rape kit. And there was a victim's advocate there who she gave me a white crew neck, gray sweatpants, fresh underwear and socks. And I just put them on and I was laying there. And my parents walked in the door as I was lying on that hospital bed in the <laughs> first thing that I said to them and they like I remember my dad had tears in his eyes and they were smiling and I said I bet you guys smoked a lot of cigarettes since I've been gone huh of course you did (laughs) that's the first time I remember using humor as a coping mechanism so of course you did Uh, I, you know, I haven't asked them if they remembered me saying that, but I feel like they probably do. Oh, I bet they do. Um, So they like laughed and they were like, yeah, I guess. And they got to take me home that day. Grenier was arrested that same day. Also, they found him within an hour. Because Um, he is a stupid little bitch. Yeah, because he is a dumb fart knocker. 
what a turd that guy was. Is. So He's alive. I'll kind of, again, we talked last episode how small the world is. And when I was growing up in Marion, which he worked at a store called Hills, which is like the, it's like a CVS, a big CVS type thing, JCPenney type thing. We would go in there and he worked there. And he obviously like you're young. So you stare at him because he has one arm. And yeah, I asked him how he lost it. Probably being by such a douchebag, someone probably just (laughs) ripped it off. He just said I lost it in high school. So it had been gone for a while, I guess. Well, my mom had that mother and I always say trust your gut. My husband talk about this all the time. You have to trust the gut feelings that you have. My mom didn't know who he was, but there was something about him that had her so fiercely protective over us when it because we would stare and she would be like, I mean, get the hell away. Don't can look at him like no stay the fuck away go mama she knew she yeah like, that guy sucks get yeah he sucks and all these years later i find out like oh absolutely he sucks royally royally and <laughs> so they arrested him that day and it's yeah. still amazing that george did not get to him first yeah yeah he would not george is my dad um <laughs> honestly certified there so badass on. <laughs> there was so much going on with like my parents and me we were at the police station i felt like a few times a week we were talking to lawyers newspaper reporters i was ambushed by press coming out of police stations and um, there jake- was like a re- go ahead sorry jake was up during this time yeah and jake was there too and it was just like the worst trip home he's ever had (laughs) probably it just faded into the background he messaged my mom recently and asked for um some information about that because you know he gets here and they come get back and i'm gone just quick there was so many people coming to my house and they were bringing gifts and (laughs) the same day that I was taken, my nanny, my mom's mom died. So my mom must have just been a wreck. Her daughter disappears, her mom dies, same day. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a nightmare. So in addition to all of this stuff, they're also funeral planning and trying to talk about that with her family. (laughs) It was just like an awful time in our lives. Well, yeah. 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 (laughs) And I think the most impressive other than you escaping, because that's like you can't even compare that to anything that's like transcends all. But I think the most impressive thing as a nine year old is you are the reason he is still in prison and will never be out of prison. No, um, he today he has served one 20 year sentence for criminal confinement. And he is not eligible for any kind of release by until October 2058, which I think he would be like 103 years old. So he's probably going to die in there. If if not, he will when he gets out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, (laughs) Because. So the Megan testified. And this is something that is traumatic for kids. It's. Something that a lot of parents, believe it or not, they do not make their children do it. Well, you're right. It is traumatic. And I don't necessarily blame them for that. Oh, no. They've gotten through it. Why make them relive it by telling it 
but I did. I testified against him. Um, they didn't make me face him the entire trial. They turned my chair around, but my description of what happened and the ability for me to identify him as a man with one arm. Yeah, like it's not like there. It's like he, there's not very many people. It's not like you can pull up a lineup of other people who also have one arm. And like, live on a specific road that I told the police he lived on. So and were they was, were they able to match the duct tape from your jacket? Yeah, there was physical evidence. Um, the fibers that were on my dad's jacket matched the fibers found on the floor of the van. And I had also pissed all over the place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, pretty busted. Um, at the very end of the trial, they... I remember my my lawyer, he's a nice guy. He said, I know this is going to be really hard, but I need you to turn around and look at this person and verify and confirm that he is the correct man. And I did it. And they sentenced him to 148 years in prison. And I want to like drive home how long that is because I did so much research. I was trying because it's one of those like I don't want to say that was a really long time. Typically, you don't see sentencing like that in a case that doesn't involve murder. But you should. Absolutely. Like <laughs> that should be like that should be the norm. It shouldn't be 5 years. It's insane. But because you testified, because you were smart, because you pissed all over his there was no room for there was no room to say pretty much airtight the jury absolutely i I don't think they took more than an hour so i'm gonna read from let me see which newspaper this is because i the vincennes sun from august 19th 1999 i'm gonna read a little bit about what they said about your case and also the most badass thing i've ever heard a parent say in my entire life yep So it goes into detail about how you freed yourself on Easter Sunday. Um, He lived on South J Street. Your dad said he might have gotten the maximum for everything, but it's never enough for a parent. It would be better if he was dead. And I think 100% we all agree. Yeah, no, my dad told me that the day he went to trial, my dad was planning on going to the the courthouse steps and shooting him on his way in. He said he was going to kill him and his friend talked him out of it. His friend was like, don't do it, man. <laughs> and thank goodness for his friend because my dad's great. And I would hate to not have him around. Now. He, um, the jury was, they deliberated for 45 minutes and it your, was, it was fast. <laughs> your dad wrote a letter that read Grenier stole the innocence of a child. He is a predator of children we asked that he never know life is a free man again, and he won't. No. He won't. And, you know, good, because after that, like, we learned, you know, that he was being investigated for Wendy and for Trisha. And so, he- and that goes, after they, after he was arrested, they started digging in his yard because the police were like, hey, this is very close to where Trisha Reitler was abducted from. And they, you know, they were trying to look for evidence of her or Wendy. And there's there's conflicting information if you start looking. Because some information, some newspapers I read said they did find human remains in his yard, like a jawbone. Well, they found a jawbone, but I... I read also that it was planted. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, they think the dog handler... 
yeah, the dog handler planted it. There yeah, were the FBI opened a case against the person who they think planted it. And there was also human tissue found, but they couldn't link that to Trisha or Wendy. So, I mean, you were right when you said it was either I go or I die, because that's probably, you know, I hate to say, but like, that's probably what would have happened. Because at some point, he can't keep you in his mom's garage. Like that's, but also, we said before, I very much was on the Donald Grenier train as far as he was the one that abducted Trisha. But after you said, like, the, he didn't seem very organized. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't seem organized. He seemed panicky. He was easily, I mean, I was nine. I was a kid. I just can't, and it's been 21 years, but I cannot imagine if a girl like Trisha, who is athletic and tough and fought, like, went up against this man with one arm, I can't imagine he would have been able to do that to her. I and, don't I, I don't think he did it. And we have pictures that of him that I'm gonna put on our Instagram as well. He is not a very big guy. It's not like he's like six four, two hundred and forty pounds with one arm. Like he's like got the body of a little scrawny ass dude and he also has one arm. So I with I'm with you. Original and like at first we when we first were talking about it, I was like, well, you know, the six-year gap in between Wendy, Trisha, and you, it makes sense. Maybe he had something else that could sustain him until it couldn't anymore. And it just so happened to be every six years where he's like, okay, I can't take this. But you would think someone who has that much control to suppress feelings of kidnapping for six years, that he would be in more control than what he was, he wouldn't have been as easily rattled as you made him. And he wouldn't have been so panicky. Yeah. Or like I said, I don't know. It's so <laughs> I mean, hard. There's no way to know. It's just and, speculation. And he will not speak to anyone. He doesn't speak to anyone. He doesn't do any interviews. He didn't speak during the trial. He's never once talked to anyone about this. And he refuses to speak about any other cases. So. Because he got fucking hot. Yeah, and he's he's done. I do think, like I said, I think it's important that you tell your story because you have went on. I'm not going to say it hasn't been without difficulty. I don't know the inner workings of your mind, like how much it affects you on a day-to-day -day basis. I can tell you from a friend's standpoint, you are a great adult, a great mom, great wife. You've went on to live as normal of a life as you can. And I think it's important to show that, that you don't have to let trauma define you. Yeah. But to that, I did go through intensive therapy. And I, I think that's important. I think that is the most important piece of the puzzle when it comes to healing after trauma. I, I You feel those feelings and you work through them and you don't try to suppress them. You don't, you know, you don't try to ignore that it ever happened. I mean, if you do, and that's your way of working through it, that's fine. But it wasn't the way that would have worked for me. I, I would have been nothing without people constantly telling me like, you know, this was unfair what happened to you. This wasn't your fault. And me saying myself, this was unfair. This wasn't my fault. And I think it puts you in a better parenting position because it's not like the ghost stories you hear of someone five states Anyways. away was kidnapped. You can, I mean, one day, I mean, not that I want to put your business out there, but when Lily is being a rebellious <laughs> butthead teen, I can say, you need to talk to Meg. Like th these things happen. Like it's not just parents giving you ghost yeah, stories. 
It's definitely harder once um, I had my girls because it's always in the back of your mind. There's not a day that goes by that I don't even just for a moment think about it. There's not a day that goes by where something doesn't pop into my head. Like I can never look at dandelions without thinking about it, just anything. And that was a, a very hard thing for me to think of if my girls were ever in that kind of position. How do I keep them safe from something like that? But again, there's I think, my parents couldn't have kept me safe from that situation. No, and that's, I think, the hardest thing for parents to realize and to accept that it, there are times when you can do everything possible to protect your kids and it is still not enough. But in the same sense, you have to ha- raise strong because your parents have raised three very strong kids, very much strong will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think you uh, have to instill that into your kids. So they do have the thoughts like, okay, if this happens, like I can do this, I can do that. And like you, you raise them up to think or to like know that they're badasses who can do anything. They don't have to, they can survive. Yeah, I mean, we do drills. I'm sure my kids are traumatized. I do drills all the time. I'm like, I remember when I was in Louisiana, Karen and Matt, (laughs) we were sitting at their kitchen table and drilling. And this time, Parker was seven. Owen was like, actually, Parker was like six. And Owen was like four, three or four. And we were like, what happens if this happens? If someone comes up to you and asks you this, what do you do? Well, that's the thing, too. Like, my mom did that with me when I was a kid. And that's like, I yeah. had a password. If people came to, like came up to me and they were like, "Hey, my mom, your mom told me to pick you up." I I had to be like, "What's the password then?" And they had to tell me the secret word that my mom told me if she sent anyone to pick me up. Do you think it was a crime of opportunity? He saw you and was like, "Okay." Or cuz yes. obviously cuz he's not from the area. It's not like he could have been over there often. Someone would have noticed him. And I don't know why he was in that specific block even, but um, maybe at the restaurant. But I doubt it. Um, yeah, I do think it was that. I think he just saw it and was like, I'm going to do it. And maybe he thought I was wearing platform shoes, so maybe he thought I was older than nine. <laughs> uh, I love those shoes. I asked the cops if I could have them back, and they said no. I don't think you would want them back. I don't think I – well, at the time I did. Now yeah. I understand. <laughs> yeah. I think that you did everything right. And it's one of the – that's why I want – when we first started talking about doing a podcast, I had this in the back of my head. And I was like, I'm not going to ask her about it. I'm not going to bring it up. But when you were like, I think I want to tell my story, I was like, I was going to suggest it. <laughs> I maybe had that idea. I and maybe yes, we should do that. <laughs> because I do think it is, we're going to hear so many stories that do not have endings like this. Actually, probably most of our cases are not going to have endings like this. So I do think it's, I think it's important to show a little bit of sunshine and it's not all doom and gloom at the end. And it shows that like, one girls can do anything okay like look at us okay look at us look at us look at us us. (laughs) i just i'm so proud to be your friend friend we'll also put a clip of megan's montel episode on the instagram (laughs) oh man when i was 16 years old um the montel called my landline 
and asked if I knew who I was. And I said, yeah, that's me. And they were like, do you want to come on the show? Yeah. I want to go famous. And I was so (laughs) upset that I could not go with her, guys. Like, I know. So we were upset. like, ask him if I can come. And I was like, I don't think I could ask that. I'm just going to, my mom's got to go. And I was like, why does your mom have to go? Why? Can- <laughs> well, like, he'll just, they flew, they flew me to New York City to be on the show. And they, I was like, let's just send two 16-year-old girls to New York City. And um, they did a follow-up episode that I was a part of that they never aired. So suck it, Montel. Or That's, if they did air it, uh, we never saw it. I no. Think. It was probably remember, late at night and they just... Do you remember when um, everyone, like all of our friends, skipped school to come to my house and watch the episode yes. and then it didn't actually air until <laughs> yes. Friday? And everybody was like, I skipped school for this. <laughs> I remember your red power blazer, like suck it, Donald Trump. Megan had the original red power thing, red power blazer. With the bangs. You had the bangs that were over your face. So much bangs. Always. <laughs> 2000s. Man. 2000s, man. <laughs> Am I right? 2000, what was that? 2006 or seven? Am I right? Yeah, it was like an extra from a My Chemical Romance video. Absolutely. Like and I, um, I'm going to ask you, even though I know, already know the answer, do you feel that having this happen changed the way like changed your teenage years it did it change how you like the kind of outlook at the world like were you more careful or did you kind of live like more like a more on a reckless side like I've escaped I think a little bit of both because you know my nervousness or like my scared feelings about about looking in to the window to see if my friend was there, I uh, I now know that <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? I've probably already done it, so you might as well just try it. Um, and that being said, though, when I did try those things, I, ha- I do have a tendency to be um, a bit more cautious as they're going, but... Yes, I will... Oh, always down to try something new. I will give... Me- Megan was always... The cautious one. I mean, I wonder she, why. she went along. I have no idea. You went along <laughs> with my ideas that I had, but you were there to like make sure they didn't get like too out of control. You were like yeah. the smart, reckless one. <laughs> and I kind of live by <laughs> the. So nice. <laughs> I kind of live by the. I'm with Megan and she was kidnapped once. It's not going to happen again. So I think we're good. <laughs> you know, that thought does go through my head. I have to remind myself of that. The the chance it's like lightning strike. I mean that one guy got struck by lightning like seven times. So maybe I don't want to compare myself that to lightning, but probably won't happen again to me or you know like my children specifically. I hope not, but it does happen. Every it does, day. and it's terrifying. And you, I don't think I can put into words how big of a badass you are because that's just. Look, this isn't gas making up hour, okay? It is gas making up. It's sh- <laughs> Megan. I appreciate it. I think you forgot to tell everybody. You're the hero of Indiana. I was honored at the State House as an honorary Indiana hero. When, I got the paperwork and everything. When we have merch, it will be on there. Honorary <laughs> Indiana hero. Do you guys want to be an honorary gruesome hero? Yeah. 
<laughs> there aren't shirts yet, but if you want one, if you want those, let us know. We'll get them for you. We got the plug. Ending <laughs> plug. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's it. This has been. Thank you. I know this wasn't intense. Yeah, I know it's not hard to relay. I know it's not going to be hard for our listeners, or it's not going to be easy for our listeners to hear. So, thanks for sticking with us through this very. Yeah, thank you for listening and for letting me tell my story. I think it's important for people to know that this stuff happens and to just be aware of your surroundings. You know, and Keep I think an eye it, out for little girls on their own. You yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Take care of people. Look for, if you see a little kid walking by themselves, like I'm not saying pull over and ask them, but just. (laughs) What's the password, (laughs) ma'am? But just like keep an eye out. Like I do the same thing now that when I'm at like the park and stuff, if I see a kid like and I don't see a parent around, I'm like extra like. That's my kid now. Yeah. Yeah. You're mine. Not in a creepy way. I'm not going to take you home, but I will protect you. Um, So thanks everyone for listening. We're going to come back next week with more gruesome so the next episode i would like to say you're going to get a break from the horror that we just heard but you're not um we're going to come right back to back with a case that i think is important to tell especially with everyone kind of being stuck in quarantine and like the rise of domestic violence so kellyanne bates will be our next case and we're going to be releasing that actually by the time you hear this it'll be just a few days away you can check us out on apple Podcasts, spotify amazon directly on our website www.gruesomepodcast.com you can follow us on instagram at gruesome podcast and you can send us an email gruesome podcast at gmail.com because wednesdays we're gruesome we're gruesome All right. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye.